Greetings, fellow wanderers in the fourth dimension. Did you know that Tom Baker once tried to get a Doctor Who movie made? No way, get the hell out of here. <laughs> yeah, and for what it's worth, it's... Um, what's the nicest way to put it? Uh, mental? Yeah, it's... Uh, come gather thee round, children, I tell you a tale of woe. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it a kind of a... a it's a sort of tragicomic saga of um, Tom Baker trying to get a Doctor Who movie off the ground and uh, I'll confess that I mean I knew a little bit about this before we decided to do this show mm -hmm. but um, doing the doing all the research for it um, it was uh, it was not quite what I expected actually <laughs> um, I in, not in the case of it it was I, I thought that the, the the sort of the behind the scenes stuff would actually be a lot more torrid than it is. Mm. Um, you know, I don't want to put anybody off from listening, but uh yeah, um it's quite a story. So everyone crack open a beverage and uh, get ready for this. So basically the the main resource that I used for this was uh, uh DWM or Doctor Who Monthly back in uh, two thousand and seven, I believe. Um they had a very extensive, very good um uh, uh, explanation of sort of the nitty gritty of what had happened mm. um, and so yeah in issue 379 you can find it online if you google it um, the text is very small but you know you can embiggen it with uh, internet doodads um, and uh, it also has a, a very nice story actually based on the script which we'll talk about in a little while mm. so yeah I, I encourage everybody to check that out but in the meantime um, so basically, uh, as you say, Tom Baker decided one day he wanted to make a movie, but it's not that simple, my friends. Nope. So really, the there was one of these things, it was very sort of rumoured back in the day of one of these sort of mystical stories that was never made. Um, there was very little solid information about it back mm. then. Um, a lot of the people who were involved in the project have uh, now passed away, but in combination with uh, JNT's very extensive archive of paperwork and, um, and a full script which came out in 2006, which was unearthed, the full story was kind of piece together so basically our story begins take yourself back back to a place called the Acton Hilton which is what they <laughs> used to call the, the BBC rehearsal rooms in West London and it's about 1974 and Tom Baker and Ian had just been cast in the show in April of that year they famously quickly bonded with the remaining incumbent star of the show who was Elizabeth Sladen uh, after every, basically everyone else had left it was basically just Liz so with new Doctor Who adventures not scheduled until to begin until the autumn of 74, the three of them just spent most of their time discussing the characters and building kind of a rapport. And as long-time fans will know and people who listen to this show, Tom's propensity for adding bits of business and humour to the show um, was is kind of encouraged but not, but they weren't really... This didn't become an issue until much later. Mm -hmm. Bookmark that, people. We'll come back to it. So <laughs> Ian Marta, uh, he once told a room of attendees at a US convention in the 80s that he and Tom, having become bored of filling rehearsal downtime, repeatedly failing to complete the Times crossword, decided to rep to write their own script. So here is the genesis of this whole thing. The two developed a very rough outline of a story and sent it up to the script department. However, the department was extremely busy with the upcoming series and didn't pay it too much attention, and they received very little in the way of feedback. Tom Baker would later claim the production office saw it and hated it, but I thought it was marvellous. So I'm also going to throw this out here at this stage of the story. Everything Tom Baker says, take with quite a big pinch of salt, all right? <laughs> I mean, bless his heart, he does have a slight tendency for exaggeration. Mm. <laughs> 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 she said, trying to be nice. Yeah. 
Okay, at this stage, the story was described by Tom as the plot involved a malignant creature called Scratchman, which is a name for the devil who loved causing trouble. It involved scarecrows coming to life and was very frightening, but had a lot of humour as well. Despite his rejection by the BBC, Tom Baker wasn't ready to give up on the project and proposed to Marta that they try and write this movie rather than have it as a serial for the show, which is how it is originally envisaged. Um, so, buoyed by the fact there were already two Doctor Who movies in existence, Marta and Baker set up about trying to hammer out a script in their spare time. So, despite the fact they're already actors and they've been in the business a long time, they had somewhat limited experience when it came to actually making movies. I mean, I'm not sure he might have been anything. And does I think Tom Baker's Hammer stuff kind of precedes this and being in the the Sinbad movie. Mm, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Check that Sinbad movie out. It's in actually is good. Um, <laughs> At some point, it's unclear exactly how or when, because, uh, so again, some of this information is gleaned from Tom's uh, autobiography, which again, mm. meh. <laughs> um, oh God, here comes the cat. <laughs> <laughs> My cat's here. Hello, Jasmine, the podcast interrupting cat. At some point, again, it's uh, not exactly sure who uh, threw this out there exactly, a director by the name of James Hill became involved with the project. So James Hill directed episodes of The Avengers and The Saint and recently directed the film Black Beauty. Mm-hmm. With the agreement that Marta and Baker would finish a script, uh, Hill would then help mould it into a workable screenplay and then the three of them would take it forward. Mm. Okay. So with this task set, Baker and Marta go off on holiday to Italy with their families. Unfortunately, this working holiday was cut short by Marta falling ill and Tom Baker almost drowning in the swimming pool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so <laughs> do you get the, get the impression this is somewhat doomed? Mm. So after this series of unfortunate events, Marta had already recorded his final Doctor Who appearance. Nevertheless, the script was set as starring Sarah, Harry and the Doctor. With Hill's help, the screenplay started to take shape. At this stage, the Cybermen make their first appearance in the narrative. Well, not the Cybermen, the similar to but legally distinct from the Cybermen monsters known as the Cyborgs were due to be the main antagonist in Scratchman, of course. Mm. The Daleks, the actual Daleks that is, made a cameo and the Doctor saves the day with a picnic and a game of cricket. Confused, you will be. So, with their very violent, very funny, according to Tom Baker, script in hand, the starting gun was officially fired in October 1975. Tom Baker's agent wrote to Roy Williams, the exploitation manager of the BBC Enterprises, which, by the way, what a great work name uh, title for your job. (laughs) That was a a thing. Yeah, the the exploitation manager, which I presume they mean it in the the sense of um, if people would want to use our properties, exploit them for money. And um, I'm going to say, God damn it, Key, open the door. I've seen you do it before. I'm not coming over there. Oh, for God's sake. So the exploitation manager of BBC Enterprises to see if her client could acquire the option to make a Doctor Who film with him Mm. as the star. So BBC Enterprises respond by saying the idea appears to the corporation and the various departments would then set about drawing up contracts with terms which are agreeable for both sides. This involves looking into the paperwork which is used to create the terms and conditions for the 1960s Dalek movies. So the main sticking point of this is that the Doctor had to be recast for the 1960s films because, mm. of course, you need somebody in this to... Obviously, we're exploiting the Daleks mainly and the Dalek mania around there, but you still need a star to make it go. William Mm -hmm. Hartnell wasn't that man. He wasn't really popular enough or well-known enough, so that's why you have Peter Cushing. Mm -hmm. So, Doctor Who Me Scratchman bet on the metaphorical farm on the domestic audience attachment to Tom Baker and at the TARDIS controls. This perceived strength would become a weakness, ironically. But again, we'll come back to that. 
And uh, do you want to just hold on a second, Mark? I'm going to have to put the cat out. She's trying to go nuts in here. Yeah, mate. Jasmine, come here. <laughs> Jasmine. <laughs> <laughs> she's gone under the freaking sofa do you want to come out soon <laughs> anyway so um where was i so meanwhile the script is becoming more refined with locations in scotland and lanzarote proposed mm-hmm. uh, so all filming was planned for location because it was obviously extremely expensive to rent space in say shepparton or something like that mm-hmm. so keeping it on location keeps the cost relatively low so by the end of november 1975 tom baker's agent again writes to the bbc confirming that james hill productions wants to take up the rights and make a who movie for a period so for they want to make a who movie and they have want to be guaranteed the rights to do this solely for the next 18 months from that day mm-hmm. so it's so all going swimmingly. No one's saying no. It's not all kicking off, which is what you would think would be happening, but it's not. Mm-hmm. It's at this point in arranging the legal and corporate departments. The BBC asked produce the current producer of the show, Philip Hinchcliffe, for his comments, um, and he indicates that um, he felt any project that it, with the BBC should retain the final script approval to ensure the film remained in the spirit of the show, must be consistent with what the audience was used to, and the companions are faithful to their small screens counterparts. Which is fair enough. Fair enough, of course. And he also proposed that the BBC be informed of the film's intentions at every point. Mm-hmm. Again, traditionally, when you're thinking about things which end up in development hell and things, this is where things start sticking, but it's not really the case. Baker's agent, Gene Diamond, and James Hill met with the BBC Enterprises in now what's January 1976 and agreed the film would be firmly based on the TV show and the production would not start until March of 1977 at the earliest due to Tom Baker's commitment to the show. Mm -hmm. So everyone's on board with this still. It's all gravy. It was about this time that the embryonic Doctor Who fandom, this fandom with a capital F, became active in the press. Mm-hmm. And the masses were promised that a movie would be entering production in 1977, well, quarter one of 1977. Hinchcliffe and Hill meet in September and they look at each other's scripts because obviously Philip Hinchcliffe is still working on the TV show. Hill is banging together this script that Ian Martin and Tom Baker have so far produced. And uh, listeners may be surprised to know that Hinchcliffe actually likes Scratchman, uh, calling it an imaginative, ambitious while staying true to the show. Well, how much he actually liked it, you know, is probably debatable. I mean, mm. I don't know if that's polite or genuinely I actually like it. It kind of reminds me, if you watch Great British Bake Off, that Mary Berry <laughs> will sometimes go, your presentation is quite informal. What mm. she means is it looks like shit, but yeah. tastes nice. So I wonder if it's, <laughs> it's one a, of those type things. Yeah, but the main points, obviously, yes, damn with faint praise. But we don't really know what level this this comment is. So, you know, and no one I don't think is ever going to know. So, mm. you know, your mileage may vary on that one. So the main sticking points were really only the copyright infringing cyborgs and using the Daleks. Now, James Hill apparently talked to Terry Nation. He was all good with it. But, um, yeah, the cyborgs were probably going to have to go. But mm. we'll see about that. Here comes the major roadblock. It's money. The British film industry had been in steady decline for years. The horror heyday of Hammer and Amicus was long over. Sci-fi production was almost non-existent, apart from a little movie you may have heard of called Star Wars being made at Elstree at the time. No, never and, heard of it. Uh, no, never heard of it. No. Oh, it's like, oh, it's some yeah. terrible little thing. Uh, I hear Alec Guinness is in it, though. It's quite good. Well, I just must be slumming it then. 
yeah, slamming it. The only thing thriving in the area was only thing thriving in British cinema at this point was what are very loosely called sex comedies, uh. which are you know neither sexy nor comedic. Hmm. However, the reasoning behind transferring who to the big screen was quite sound. Uh, other UK shows like On the Bus it is have made the successful leap. So surely a TV show that was at this time pulling in 10 million viewers a week consistently was a surefire moneymaker. Doctor Who Meets Scratchman was shopped around to many a studio, Tom Baker being Tom, for favoured a homegrown company. But the greatest interest was shown by Universal at this point, coming off the mega hit of Jaws. Mm-hmm. Um, so they've got money to spend. Obviously not wanting to rule out a huge US market, the ideal casting uh, of Scratchman, the actual antagonist, would be an established star uh, on both sides of the Atlantic with genre street cred. This is where Vincent Price comes into the picture. Mm-hmm. Tom Baker had gone public with his frustration at the ability to get a UK backer in the Daily Mail in November of 1976. This is where uh, Vincent Price's name is then associated with the project from this interview. Mm-hmm. Soon after this, in an interview with The Sun, Baker infamously declared that the fans should ship into the production a sort of demented proto-Kickstarter. Um, <laughs> The the budget was something like £500,000, which obviously in 1976 money is a fair wedge. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think that trying to make a film for that sort of money now is all considered a micro budget now. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, but he was, you know, Tom Baker basically said, yeah, if you all gave me a fiver each, mm. you could, you know, we could have this film made. Um, much later, there is sort of ev- sort of anecdotal evidence that people were sending money in envelopes to the BBC <laughs> to be made, and Tom Baker had to send it all back mm-hmm. because obviously, you know, you can't take it because you have to have sort of proper dividends and shareholders and reassurances that your money's being used. So, mm-hmm. anyway, so time is wearing on, and eventually Liz Sladen packed up a cuddly owl and left the TARDIS, <laughs> and the hope of a Sarah, Harry, and Doctor film dwindled. The production was now faced with issuing a revised script with recast companions. And this is where Twiggy, the icon of swigging 1960s London, was bandied about as a possible Sarah Jane replacement. Apparently both Vincent Price and Twiggy were highly interested in the project. However, a new final say was now with the backers, because this is the problem when you have backers. Now they want to start saying who can do what and when. Mm -hmm. It's now near the end of 1976, and Doctor Who had a replacement producer in the shape of Graham Williams, who was replacing the outgoing Philip Hinchcliffe. And he's suddenly saddled with managing the tone of this project, because Philip Hinchcliffe has been doing this before. Mm -hmm. So while on location for the talents of Wen Chiang, Tom Baker once again vented his frustration at the press. There was no progress made by February of 1977, and Baker's window of opportunity uh, had now closed to film Scratchman in between production of the series. Mm-hmm. Uh, an unforeseen consequence of Scratchman was the appearance of other proposals for Doctor Who movies, most prominently from the US, and also there was this uh, some guy called Douglas Adams who was farming about a script, uh, Doctor Who and the Cricket Men, I believe it's called. I don't really know a lot about it, but um, mm. I think it's even more kind of uh, ill-conceived than this one. Uh, this led to the BBC waiting to see how proposals in the US was financially square with the deal they're trying to put together with James Hill. So obviously, mm-hmm. if from the US people are going to do something that's going to make them potentially more money, James Hill can go whistle, and so can Tom Baker and Ian Martyr. The Scratchman project was given some financial hope by the National Film Finance Corporation, who pledged £250,000 toward its production. This still left them only halfway to the 500000 production costs that Scratchman apparently demanded. Even if all the money could have been raised, contractual issues, including merchandising, were now holding out the production as well. 
So these obviously these things do come up, and it was one of those things that letters were being sent backwards and forwards trying to resolve that issue while they're mm-hmm. trying to raise finance, and things are moving kind of slowly. So now it's 1978, and Tom Baker has started to become a cult figure in the USA, hmm. which added some much-needed momentum to the production. With Baker now recognisable overseas, the film was way more financially attractive. Uh, James Hill Productions was finally granted a one-year option to make the film in 1978. So again, when we say an option, it just means you have permission to make this film in this window of time that we grant you. Mm -hmm. Um, It doesn't necessarily guarantee that the film is going to be made. Uh, Meanwhile, it was becoming clear that Baker was now only staying with Doctor Who on TV in hopes that the movie would be made. Um, and there's some suggestion that Liz Sladen stayed on longer than she ever intended to, with the idea this film would be made as well, but that's much more sketchy. Mm. Um, uh, he was increasingly dissatisfied with the lack of ability to change the creative direction of the show, again, quite infamously. Graham Williams was tearing his hair out, um, and he ends up leaving not long after this. His next available window to shoot the film would have been spring 1979, and you've guessed it, James Hill was unable to raise enough money. The window closed again, and the option then expires again in October of 1979. Uh, The film industry's interest in the project had begun to dwindle next to nothing, to the point that in response to a US company who inquired about Scratchman, Graham Williams said in July of 1979 that the latest information that he had was the project was postponed indefinitely and now it's sort of starting to die throughout 1980 and onwards various other ideas with scratchman were mooted as possible movies with Ian Marta finding success as a writer of very well received Doctor Who target novels and penning articles in the Sunday Times magazine he continued to work on the project with Ian Marta tragically passing away uh, very early at the age of 42 in 1986 uh, James Hill uh, passed away in 1994 it meant that two of the three main forces of this project had now died and uh, Tom Baker had obviously left the show many years earlier. Mm-hmm. So really, any sort of uh, push for this to now to move forward is now gone. Yeah. So I'm just going to sum up by saying that uh, Doctor Who magazine ends its article by saying this. Sadly, Doctor Who meets Scratchman was conceived at the wrong time for the movie industry and then failed to capitalise on the boom created in the wake of Star Wars. The notion of a horror film for all the family springing from a popular TV series should have been a surefire success, but the correct combination of finance and time never came into alignment. And so ends the tragic story of Doctor Who meets Scratchman. So you at home, who've maybe never even heard of this, may be wondering, so if they found the script, what was Doctor Who meets Scratchman about? Over to you, Mike. Right, okay. (coughs) Strap in for this one, boys and girls. This is long. In the mysterious Space Records Bureau, Americans Potts and Griffin are browsing through a file marked Doctor Who. Potts marvels at the fact that this mysterious man has been seen at the War of the Roses, found the Loch Ness Monster, and was present at the execution of Charles I. More surprising to the two colleagues is that he's due to arrive today. Um, and I think that's about as far as that little plotline goes. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, the TARDIS materialises in London Airport, and the Doctor peeps his head out of the door. In the distance, a crowd has gathered to await the landing of Concord and his passenger, a visiting pop star. The Doctor is slightly miffed at the commotion and resets the coordinates for the Scottish Highlands as he and his companions all sing, Yes, we have no bananas. Oh, for God's sake. <laughs> they, reappear on a, they reappear on a Scottish moor and, taking a quick peek, the Doctor spots a nice place for a picnic. The Doctor grabs his pick and carpet bag, and the friends lay themselves down, light a stove, and have a friendly game of cricket. In the first round, Sarah bowls, the ball goes straight past the batsman and into the tall grass. 
Whilst looking for the lost ball, the Doctor thinks he can hear the sound of cracking bones, but dismisses it as a trick of the mind. Continuing on, he comes across a scarecrow and finds that the ball has somehow managed to land in its upturned hand, almost as if it had picked up the ball itself. Picking up the ball, the Doctor, Sarah and Harry return to their picnic spot, only to find it trashed. In the distance, they hear the sound of a tractor moving away from them at speed. Looking around, they manage to find an old motorbike and set off in pursuit. Pause mm-hmm. to take a drink. <laughs> oh dear god, this is long. <clears throat> <laughs> the chase takes them to an old deserted barn, and as they approach, once again they hear the unnerving sound of cracking bones. They climb the ladder to the loft where, through a crack in the floor, they see living scarecrows, hundreds of them, ripping up sacks of fertilizer and rubbing it on themselves. One of the scarecrows. One of the scarecrows. One of the scarecrows. No, that's right. One of the scarecrows notices the intruders, sounds the alarm, and the friends run for their lives, hope on their motorbike, and make good their escape. They make their way to the nearest village, which seems totally deserted. As they pass by the local greengrocers, the doctors notice that the food seems completely untouched. The doctor muses on the living scarecrows and comes to the conclusion that in order to find out what is behind all this, they will need to create a large number of moths using rapid cell multiplication. What? Yeah, okay. (laughs) Okay, right. Once the moths have eaten the scarecrows' clothes, they can find out what is animating them. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, They, they raid an abandoned bring by sale for the required materials. Sarah and Harry examine the old clothes for moth larvae, and the doctor uses electrical appliances to create a strange-looking device. Finally, Harry gets some glucose, and Sarah starts sewing some of the clothes together, while outside the movements are being watched by a shadowy figure. Dun-dun-dun! Above the village in the sky is a bright, shining star, the Sky Plateau, where the shadows creature is reading the cybors, cybernetic humanoid beings with emotionless faces. Mm-hmm. The shadow, tell- mm-hmm. the shadow creatures tell the cyborgs that the great experiment bringing the scarecrows to life is being threatened by the Doctor. As he talks, his wraith-like form shifts and changes, sometimes looking like a shadowy man, sometimes an insect. The shadow creature commands the two cyborgs to go to Earth and stop the Doctor's meddling. The cyborgs go to the edge of the plateau and dive off, hurtling towards Earth. Okie dokie. Back at the bring and buy sale, Sarah asked the Doctor what exactly... <laughs> I never understood what the bring a sale comes know. into it. I, I, know, I know you want to be specific in these uh, treatments, but Christ's sake. Back in the bring and buy sale, Sarah asks the doctor what exactly he is his building. He explains that it is a high velocity moth machine. For God's sake. <laughs> the clothes that Sarah stitched together now acts as a conveyor belt, which is attached to the moth machine at one end, and the wheel of the oh. moth. And the, and the wheel of the motorbike outside at the other. The lava area are now in a small tank connected to the machine. Harry revs the engine, the machine springs to life, spurting out moths. Okay. Oh, for the love of cream cake. <laughs> the group celebrate with another round of Yes, We Have No Bananas. Oh, shut up. Shut up with your Yes, We Have No Bananas. <laughs> The bell begins to slow down, and the Doctor realises the bike engine needs topping up and hands Harry a jerry can. Harry goes outside to refuel the bike, but is confronted with several scarecrows brandishing farming tools. Harry darts back inside, and the Doctor scoops up the larvae tank and heads for the barn. 
He throws Harry a fur coat and hat and instructs them to distract the Scarecrows while Sarah returns to get the P2 power source from the TARDIS. As the two leave, Harry barrels through the Scarecrows and runs off into the night. Okay then, see ya Harry. I pause for another drink. Oh my god, I'm going to run out of Diet Coke at this rate. Yes, <laughs> <coughs> we have no Diet Coke. We only have to sing a song about that. Yeah. Sarah arrives at the TARDIS, goes... <laughs> Goes to the workshop and picks up the P2 power source and makes to leave, but her way is barred by a terrifying scarecrow with a grooming steel teeth and a World War II German helmet. She runs through the workshop and is chased by the scarecrow through an impossibly large ballroom and into a hall of mirrors where she finds a grandfather clock. She climbs inside to find the scarecrow and, to her surprise, finds that it's bigger on the inside. Gigantic Gigantic. <laughs> Gigantic cogs and levers turn fade across make up the interior of the clock, and Sarah climbs deeper inside. The scarecrow follows her, but is unable to navigate the massive clockwork structure and gets caught between the two cogs. As the clocks, <laughs> there's a typo on this page. As the cock strikes, <laughs> as the clock strikes, the cogs start to rotate, crushing the scarecrow. Relieved, Sarah rushes back to the barn. She arrives at the P2 and the Doctor connects the apparatus and prepares to start the moth machine, but as he does so, there's a massive explosion, and when the smoke clears, they see two cyborgs, guns raised, who then grab Harry. They then hear a deafening noise and see a huge cyborg ship emerging from the sea. There is a warning sign and the cyborgs rush back to their ship, which then ascends into the sky before exploding into a ball of flame. So, so, wait... But Harry was... No. Okay. Um, yeah, alright. Yeah, they're okay. we'll, we'll fix it in post. Yes. <laughs> the group marvel at what they've witnessed before they are distracted by the sound of pipes being played in the distance. They follow the music and it leads them back to the TARDIS and, standing behind it, they find Pan playing on his pipes. The Doctor realises the melody is a set, actually a set of coordinates and rushes into the TARDIS and sets the, off for the destination in Pan's tune. They land on a barren mm-hmm. volcanic planet where the air is filled once again with music and Clara throws the keys into the... Oh no, wait, sorry, wrong story. <clears throat> <laughs> they follow the music to a river where they meet a hooded and cloaked ferryman who beckons them to a board. Uh, no sooner are they on the river than the water starts to batter the ferry apart. Harry grabs Sarah and throws her onto the bank and the doctor grabs onto her overhanging cactus moments before the raft smashes into pieces. Cactus? <laughs> okay. <clears throat> The Doctor pulls himself to the shore, but Sarah and Harry are nowhere to be seen. But what he can see is a black knight on horseback swinging his mace and preparing to charge at the Doctor. Shades of Star Trek here. Uh, thinking quick, the Doctor grabs two rocks. Thinking quick, the Doctor grabs two rocks, ties them to each end of his scarf, and throws them at the knight. The improvised bowler stuns the knight, who falls off his horse. The Doctor then jumps on and makes his escape as the knight disintegrates into a heap of rust. Something really weird happens involving an egg. <laughs> okay. Oh my god. Non sequitur. That's theory. only halfway through, people. Non sequitur theatre presents. <clears throat> the doctor crosses the plane and ends up in an oval office with a man in a pinstripe suit. Instead of a head, he has a ball of light. The man introduces himself as Harry Scratch and reveals that he was behind the sideboards and the scarecrows and motions to a huge tank with Sarah and Harry floating inside. He invites the doctor to join him, but the doctor refuses. A lift opens, the doctor dashes inside, and the doors close and the lift drops down the shaft. The doors open and the doctor sees Sarah and Harry alive and well, however, looking around them, they realise what appears to be a massive pinball machine. <sighs> 
Holy mm-hmm. shit. Um, <clears throat> Good lord. The, <laughs> the game starts and the group try to avoid the huge steel ball as they hear scratches cackling every time his scores increase. After many close calls, the ball falls into the gutter and the doctor takes his turn, each easily reaching the 5 million jackpot. In a fit of rage, Scratch orders his Daleks into the machine to exterminate the companions, but the doctor realizes the smooth the, <laughs> but the doctor realizes the smooth surface means that the doctors cannot move very well and can be easily toppled. The doctor uses his scarf to catapult the ball, which hits the jackpot for Scratch and destroys him. Editors note I'm not sure why. <laughs> because reason sharp. <laughs> The crew returns to the Oval Office where they find a pinstripe suit and a silver ball as the last remains of Harry Scratch. Harry pockets the ball. Adventure over the Doctor, Sarah and Harry resume their picnic and a game of cricket. Harry takes the silver ball and balls at the Doctor who hits it and smashes it into pieces. Inside one of the pieces is a squirming lizard-like creature. It's Harry Scratch. And the end. And end scene. Scene. Oh, good grief, okay. Mike. So, can I just ask, so oh, when... a fucking mess. Yeah, so when Tom Baker and Mark were writing this, was this in a pub? Because... <sighs> was it in some sort of Indian sweat lodge where they were smoking peyote? <laughs> because this is bonkers. This is... And this was going to cost 500 grand. Like, no. That seems to be wild, wild underestimate, yeah. to be honest, doesn't it? I mean, it's... Um, I mean, the amount of stuff that they're proposing to put in this thing for a start. I know. That's absolutely ridiculous lowball number. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like... I mean... I don't know what the budget for Jaws was like, but that, that's got to be... Maybe it's not even enough for that, because, I mean, you've got a, a pinball table. I mean, what? And all the locations and the monsters and, you know, Terry Nation's going to want 500 grand to use the Daleks for five minutes. Precisely. Let alone anything else. Uh, and you've got to pay for Vincent Price and Twiggy. Yeah. I mean, I don't see I where... Mean, I mean, I don't know where Twiggy would have come into this. I mean, because obviously it's still, it's still the Doctor oh. Sarah and Harry. I mean, maybe she was the celebrity who was supposed to get arrive at the airport. But, you know, you're not going to really see her. But... Okay, even if you throw Twiggy out of this equation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, say you keep it as um, Ian Martyr, Liz Layden, Tom Baker, and you get Vincent Price in mm-hmm. generously, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, because in, in this whole saga as well, Tom Baker and Ian Martyr weren't going to take any money for this. So, they are essentially doing it for free. Mm-hmm. So, um, but you've got to still pay the whole production cost. And although they were trying to keep costs to a minimum, yeah. I mean, how they even thought they were going to do <laughs> this for half a million, it's just keep ridiculous. The, keep the costs to a minimum. They've got a fucking pinball machine. <laughs> Oh, um, but it's it's as just such. I mean, obviously, going away from the production costs. I mean, yeah. even if, right. So if we imagine that you know we're in the bizarro world and this film, you know, really got off the ground. Say they got all the money they wanted. So say that you know, like I say, GoFundMe and Patreon and Kickstarter is, you know, exists in mid nineteen seventies, <laughs> and they crowdfund it, or you know, they convince someone to give them the money. Uh-huh. Um, and they make this thing, right? Yeah. The script is an absolute clusterfuck. Can we be generous and say it's a clusterfuck? Uh, yeah, that's pretty accurate. I mean, all this stuff, it's just a complete nightmare. There's just I too know. much. I mean, you you would have hoped that, I mean, the, this, this, the, this presentation of this script mm-hmm. um, is just a... Uh, um, 
No, the fact that it hadn't been sort of knocked into shape by James Hill. Mm-hmm. Because I can't believe that someone who makes movies would say, yeah, this is a, this is a movie that's going to go. Because you've got about four different storylines going on generously mm. and it just jumps from place to place kind of without any rhyme or reason yeah i mean uh, like, let's take for example um, harry scratch i mean right right okay so he's got he's got his cyborgs and he's got these scarecrows right what yep. is the end game here what's what's he trying yeah, to do i was going to say what, what what's his motivation darling yeah. you know it's um it, it's very strange. I mean, because I mean, Tom Baker seems to Andy and Marta sort of seem to sort of say he's just basically he's like some sort of puckish, like chaotic entity who just wants to do that to fuck shit up, essentially. Oh, you know, okay. to put things bluntly. Well, right. Okay. So uh, very generously, enough. that's his motivation. Right? Okay. Right. Yeah. But okay. But you know, why a pinball machine? Why the cricket match? Why the the escape? Uh, you know, the the sewing together clothes? Why the the Tardis like? device why the why any maker? of this stuff yeah it's... why any of it yeah i mean uh, even like the the very first paragraph i read the space records bureau mm-hmm. uh, that doesn't uh, go anywhere okay it's just there no. you don't need that in there's there's no unless it ties into something you know the 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 whole thing of Chekhov's gun applies if you're going to show something you've got to pay it mm. off at the end you can't just have that in for no reason I mean, it's not like and, you know. Of... Why is he? Why is he in the Oval Office? I mean, you know, is it some sort? Are we going yeah. to do like a political commentary here? I mean, Nixon was in the Oval Office at the time. I mean, I... are we talking about? I think it's just a sort of a Oval Office. It's not the Oval Office. I think it's just oh, an Oval Office. A, All right, oval. okay, yeah, yeah. But I mean, like, it's sort of like have you ever heard the story of like Buckaroo Banzai across the eighth dimension? There was a point where like the studios right, didn't yes. care so much that you know the famous you know why is there a watermelon there? I'll tell you later. Mm. That was that was purely put in there as a as like a throwaway joke to actually see if the studio was actually paying attention, and they would because it got, it got in the movie. <laughs> but I mean, yeah. that's that's poking fun at something. They again, I'll have to go back to the space records bureau nonsense. This, yes. This, why? What's it there for? I mean, that's the thing. This this is the problem with... <laughs> right, I say, okay, so we're in the bizarro world where this movie is funded, right? Uh-huh. You've got to believe that in some... Where, you know, the, the sort of... It's something analogous to the universe in which we exist. Mm-hmm. Someone would have said, this is a total mess. Uh-huh. This cannot go on screen as it is. Exactly. I, I mean, I've, I've got a feeling that even if... Um, you know, James Hillwood said, "Yeah, marvelous. We'll do it all as you want, as mm. the script as as we. This is this is a Hill Marta Baker joint as we present it like this, like hey, you've just read it out. Mm. The BBC would have stomped on this so hard. <laughs> Tom Baker would have, you know, wouldn't have known his own name. Mm. It was just, it's so, it's so, it's such a mess. Yeah. Well, and it makes so little sense in the form that we see it here. Yeah. Well, do you know what? I think like, the, No one in their yeah. right mind would have allowed it. Yeah. The only thing I think it's missing is like John Cleese in between scenes going, and now for something completely different. Yeah, or yeah. something just explodes, or someone gets slapped with a fish. Yeah, I mean, it's. I mean, if you ever read any of Tom Baker, I mean, because Tom Baker's done some fiction of like poems and <laughs> stuff like that. If you if you read Tom Baker's output like that, it, it is all quite like this. Yeah. It, I mean, I'm not sure how much Ian Marta is in this. I, I'm very, I'm very surprised if. I mean, 
Like, did he just go, yeah, sure, yeah, why not? But Yeah, groovy, yeah, whatever, yeah. And just, just went with whatever Tom said. Yeah. Because here is your cautionary tale, people. This is what Tom Baker wanted Doctor Who to be like. Yeah, he wanted a talking cabbage as a companion. It, you yeah. know, you have to, I mean, for all the, like, stomps and throws of fits, you know, especially during the later years of his tenure as the Doctor, he has to have someone to rein him in. Now, it's not to say mm. that, you know, the man's brilliant or crazy or both. I mean, I tip my hat he's to him. He's deeply eccentric. Oh. Oh, yeah, but he's eccentric. Yes. Yeah. I mean, like deeply eccentric. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah. He, he, he's the picture in the dictionary under eccentric. If you look it up, he is there. You know, with big weird eyes and everything. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, you know... Yeah, exactly. You know... It, go on. I mean, because I feel like he had all the, he's got all the creation. Mm. But it's just... It's, right, it, I can't... I, someone's got to rein it in. It's got to make narrative yeah. sense. Yeah. You can't just, it feels like just, you know, obviously they're just jumping from, you know, notion to notion of things that Tom Baker thinks would be cool or make him look cool or mm. things that he wants to do. Yeah. But these things do not a movie make. No. No. I mean, I've sat through a lot of shit films in my time. <laughs> a lot of them made by Siffy, you know. Oh. I'll probably end up watching bloody, um, what's the newest one? Uh, Sharktopus versus Whale Wolf, I think is the newest one Fuck. that's coming out. <laughs> What? Whale Wolf? Yeah, with Casper Von Dean in it. Yeah. Oh, Jesus Christ. And you know, I'll probably watch it. <laughs> but the only reason you're watching it is because you want to see someone get eaten by a whale wolf. I, I would watch it purely for like, what? Someone made this? Jesus Christ. Yeah, there's that too. But you're basically looking at the Doctor Who version of a Siffy original movie. A whale wolf? How Look, the... I don't make the news, I just deliver it. How the... what? So, what is it a whale that turns into a wolf under a full moon? What? Whale... Look, it's How... not a whale... No, no, that'd be a were-whale wolf. It's just a whale-wolf. Right. Uh... It's not a were-whale That'd just be stupid. So, if it turns into Bernie Cribbins, would it be a were-wolf? A were... No. How... But is it, like, what is it's it... A, it's a wolf and a whale... Yeah, but is it like is it like some sort of mermaid? From the picture, it just looks like a hairy whale. <laughs> I'm gonna have to go lie down. <laughs> it's too much weird for one evening. <laughs> anyway, so my point being, right? This is like. The point is that these films get made just because people want to watch them because they're dumb and yeah. just for like the, the sheer kind of what the oh. fuckery of it. Oh fuck and me, they this are is dumb. Basically, oh god, they're so stupid. Mm. But you know, people, you know, is that sort of Sasha and Freud kind of feeling of, mm. you know, <laughs> of watching these sort of films? And um, it, this would have been Doctor Who's kind of equivalent of it. Oh yeah. So in say say that we're in even more the even more bizarro world, right? Oh, where the Doctor Who where the Doctor Who at BBC Enterprises say, Tom, we love it. <laughs> Make it, baby. <laughs> right? And this and this film and this film in this in the in the in the form, you know, roughly or somewhat roughly, in the in the form of what we what you've just read out, ends up in the multiplexes of the nation. Um, you know, 
what does this do to Doctor Who on television? Because uh, I'm of the opinion this kills it dead. I think it sort of goes, it goes <laughs> just yep. fucking dives nose first into yep. the dirt. I mean, it's just yeah, yeah. We would not be here talking about this. No, well, we would be talking about well, it, but like, and it's sort of like, what the fuck was this shit? But yeah, this would be like a five-part kind of howl of pain, essentially. Because yeah. um, I, I mean, even if they'd made it when they originally wanted to make it, mm-hmm. so in the production break of seventy-six, yeah. So that's you know that's about before you know sort of in the heyday of Gothic Who, yeah. right? I mean, already the show is under pressure on mm-hmm. TV for being too violent, right? Yeah. yeah. So if they then go into the multiplex, they want to make it even more violent. Okay, right? so you're going to probably end up with an X rating, which doesn't mean it's porn. Yeah. This was just the... This was before... Well, I think... Was the BBFC around It was before time? the 18 rating. Yeah. No, it was before... It was sort of, but not. It was yeah. basically... This is... I mean, for further details, can I... I must say, just to take a sidestep, I've talked about this... This opined about this this set before, but there's a, a very, very excellent um, mm. uh, couple of DVDs out there about the video nasty scare in oh. uh, the UK, which led to, yeah. obviously, very harsh ratings and... Mm-hmm. all that stuff and it sort of goes into how the bbfc rates films and i can't recommend those enough fun mm-hmm. on amazon excellent stuff but anyway so it was around but as uh so basically you had like universal so everyone can watch this movie mm-hmm. pg um and there was another one in between that and x yeah so x was basically 18 and everything mm-hmm anything that wasn't family appropriate just basically got slapped with an X. Yeah. So that's why like you'll find there are some Hammer horror films which you'd let a kid watch now they're extremely mm. tame but got X ratings. Yeah. So yeah you would almost guarantee that this would have got an X rating. Oh, yeah. So there goes half your audience or more than half your audience. Well, exactly. Exactly because obviously you know it, Doctor Who is a family show but it's still a lot of kids who watch this and obviously they hear about this movie they want to go want to go, go to the cinema and see Tom Baker their hero on the big screen battling dogs on a fucking pinball table um, but they can't do it because it's rated X and it's not like where we have the 12th A certificate these days where like you can be under 12 but you have to have a parent uh, a parent or guardian accompanying you um, you know that wasn't around so yeah, they, I can't imagine. I mean, unless they were very lax back in those days, it'd be interesting to have a time machine and find that out. Um, whether mm. like they were just like that, kids going with the parents to see these movies. I doubt it highly, but you never know. I highly doubt it. And, yeah. But you can you can see the headlines now. Mm. You know, all the old cliche ban this sick filth. But <laughs> you know, the ultra violent Doctor Who movie, ostensibly a show for kids, goes in mm-hmm. to the, the multiplexes. It could be extremely tame again by our standards, but mm. the TV and video ca- television watching council, you know, um, gets their claws in it. You know, how dare the BBC endorse this thing? It's kids can't go and see it. Or the kids have seen it and now they're traumatised. Mm-hmm. The show's already too violent. Show's off. Movie bombs. End yeah. of story. Yeah. Yeah. And it would just be sort of The like... darkest timeline. Yeah. It would probably end up... I always end up like on DVD or Blu-ray after the fact, you know, like in this sort of like period of time. But it'd be sort of like very much like a niche sort of like cool. It's kind of like sort of thing like Shout Factory have their own in America. Shout Factory have their own. It's like a subdivision called Scream Factory, and they do a lot of sort of like old old horror movies and stuff. And that would be sort of like under that banner. It wouldn't be like a marquee like 
like brand or title. It'll be like this strange they, little curio, you know. They'd watch it on Mystery Science Theatre 3000. Oh, probably. Oh, probably. I mean, you they've, know, it, it, they've, they've already done Doctor Who and the Daleks on Riff Tracks, you know, which is yeah. effectively the, the spiritual success system Mystery Science Theatre. So, you know. <laughs> we put our faith in Big McLarge Huge. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that oh, one. Never, oh, that is funny. Beef. Side. Lamb. <laughs> Bob Johnson. Oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> oh wait, yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, back to the serious point. Yeah. In the, um, it, I just I think that probably what would have happened is if um, I think the more likely timeline in the slightly divergent timeline, rather than the darkest timeline we just talk about there, mm. the slight divergent timeline scenario is that this they get the funding together through whatever medium that they get, mm-hmm. but then the BBC stomp on it because obviously it's it's just stupid. Yeah. Uh, because and also quite rightly they want to check the production at every stage. They want to have final script approval. They want to do all of this. Either the backers then drop out because they want to have a say in what is or isn't happening, mm-hmm. or more likely is that Tom Baker throws his toys so out of the pram so hard because they're, they're, yeah. they're, you know, stomping on his creative vision mm-hmm. that he ends up leaving the show much earlier. So you could you could basically have him leaving in '78. You know, yeah. you don't get the last two. You don't get a season seven eighteen there because or with with Baker because you know obviously he was already not very happy mm-hmm. and you get the sort of the added bitterness of the film that he wanted to make being extremely neutered or not made because the BBC don't want their property ruined by this ridiculous piece of shit so well, you know um, you can't blame the BBC though because it's their property no, you know you don't want it's their property in the and, day and at this sort of point in time when when we're talking about like Doctor Who was at its highest. I mean, okay, yeah, ITV was on strike at the time, but, you know, you still had, like, what, 16, 17 million viewers tuning into City of Death? Something like that? Yeah, I mean, because, it was again, because I, I say ITV was on strike, but mm-hmm. regularly but, yeah. you were talking anywhere between 10 and 13 million. Exactly, I mean... This, and obviously, I mean, this, this this precedes things like on demand, but... Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, obviously you don't I mean, get, you know, those sort of viewing figures these days because, I mean, there's shitloads more channels and a lot of them are shit. Um, and, you know, you've got catch-up and, services. And you can watch when you like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, I mean, yeah. although there's always a lot of talk in the papers about, oh, Doctor Who's seeing its worst ratings since it returned. I mean, it's, it's still not terrible. It's not that bad. It's not so no, bad that BBC going, no, that's it. We're canning it. You know. Well, I mean, as well, because of the IT, because BBC isn't dependent on people watching the adverts in between. So when Indeed. people watch it isn't super relevant, you know, um, you know, or when people watching it fast forwarding through the adverts, it's, it's not the problem because mm. they don't rely on that as a source of funding. No. Um, but, I mean, I think what we'd be probably be talking about is that this movie bombs, It if it gets made, or, I mean, in the more likely event is that the BBC just kibosh it entirely mm-hmm. and Tom Baker ends up severely embittered yeah. and leaves the show sort of much earlier. Um, but I think, I think if, um, if that had been the scenario, mm-hmm. um, I feel like even, even if say um, the, the, um, the film had been made in a much more neutered form, mm-hmm. Even if it didn't do particularly well, I think the show would have maybe survived if if um, 
if uh, if it had sort of come out in in sort of a much more kind of coherent narrative, mm-hmm. um, or even if they'd sort of somehow done it that Tom Baker had left the show but made the movie independently. Yeah, so, so you like, end up with kind of a, a, a Peter Cushing type yeah. deal that you can consider it not part of the ongoing yeah. story. It's a sidestep. They might have been all right doing it like that. Yeah, but that, I mean, because I mean, whatever you whatever you think of those Cushing movies. You know, you think they're all, you know, you can just dismiss them out of hand. They're not part of the ongoing narrative. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you want to take another sort of like another paradigm, you could always like call the Never Say Never Again of the Doctor Who franchise. You know, it's, you know, it's, oh, absolutely. it's effectively the same characters in the same sort of situations, but it's not, it's just outside of canonicity for it to be not a problem. Never Say yeah. Never Again is yeah. fucking terrible. I mean, because you know, it's... <clears throat> Yeah, it is, BT dubs. Um, But, I mean, again, sort of expanding on this point from the James Bond franchise is Mm -hmm. that we all agree that the guy who is on the thing and everyone is calling James of 007 is James Bond, even though if you take their films as a whole narrative, they sort of try to to carry it on, even though the bloke's got a different face. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they make nods to previous things. But we all agree as a as a collective that that is James Bond. Yeah. And we understand all these things are happening, even though the, it's a completely different man who's staying there, mm-hmm. standing there as James Bond. Yeah. So you sort of have to, you sort of have to hope that that, that mentality would, would switch to enduring scratchment. Mm. <laughs> because... I mean, in, in the state that it seems to be in, I mean, again, we don't know how much sort of polish was James Hill was going to put on that before the BBC yeah. were going to look at it properly. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, in the state it's in, you can't make that. It's just no. not doable. No. It's, it's... I mean, it would have been an absolute disaster. I mean, it, it would have been, you know, it would have been like a Waterworld-esque kind of production, I feel, just with no money and people walking off the set and God, the set mate. falling apart. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's like, if you ever want to have some Sasha and Freud delicious lulls, mm-hmm. um, I highly recommend seeking out the story of the production of Waterworld. What a Ooh. fuck up that was from beginning to end. Ooh, complete army um, shambles. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. Um, so also, I mean, because I find these stories absolutely fascinating because I, I love film anyway. Mm-hmm. And there's a great book out there. A, a new a, a new edition of it came out recently, which I must pick up actually. It's a book called Tales from Development Hell. Mm-hmm. And it basically talks about films, which again, in Development Hell, which is a term that a lot of people use, but if you don't know, it's the idea that films that people want to make but end up just sort of going round production offices and script rewrites and... Uh, made many years later, most famously, say, most recently, Jurassic World mm. was stuck in development hell for something like 15 years yep. before we had the film that came out. And, you know, just my opinion, I thought that movie sucked a dick. Um, oh, I thought it was okay. <laughs> I, I didn't like it. I didn't like it. Huh. Um, but, I mean, mainly, w- when you watch films that have been in development hell for a long time, um, I think probably one of the exceptions, maybe Mad Max Fury Road, which mm. was blinded, had been had been been going round and round for thirty years, basically. Oh, right. um, you know what you find when we do these things, you get little bits of narrative that don't really fit, or mm-hmm. sort of things which don't sit right, and 
it's fascinating to me these little things that people sort of insist in keeping on scripts and ideas that people can't seem to let go mm. and little things like that and um I think Scratchman is is a prime example. Like you can see, like they didn't want to let go of the Daleks. They were mm -hmm. completely obsessed with this whole thing of the cyborgs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's mm. you know the cricket match has got to be in it. The 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 pinball machine, all this guff. Yeah. Yes, we have no bananas. Yeah, they're obsessed with. I don't get it. I mean, because the yeah. thing is, these are things that are in it because Tom Baker thinks that's funny. Mm. Yeah. That's that's precisely what this is. You know, so. That's what it is. It's entirely you know Tom Baker's vanity piece, and like we said, we've said it before, and we'll probably say it again, you know, in the future in this podcast. He needs to be reined in. He needs it. He does. He, he, he's, he I mean, needs it because he's a great ideas man, mm -hmm. but he should really. Kitty, don't eat the microphone, baby. No, no, no. Thank you. Um, yeah, so the cat's <laughs> jumped off my lap and is now trying to eat the microphone. Okay. I don't want to eat the microphone, Kitty. I don't know. So, um, yeah, so with Jasmine, the podcast interrupting cat in tow, um, <laughs> I think that's all the story of Scratchman that there is. Jesus Christ, what a story. <laughs> what a story. I was going to say, I highly recommend seeking out that copy of DWM. Mm. It's online if you just Google Dot Two Magazine, issue 397. I mean, someone's PDF deal, you can check it out. Yeah. Um, oh, and my husband has appeared with an ice cream. Thank you, dear. Because I'm just going to say... Ah, uh, I want an ice cream. Cat with you. It's a McFlurry. Ooh. It's a McFlurry. Oh, and he's tempted the cat. Well done, love. <laughs> anyway, so um, I'm getting my ice cream. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, I'll just say, unfortunately, uh, dear gentle listener, whenever you're listening to this, England is currently enduring a heat wave of epic proportions. Everyone oh, is hot as dicks and miserable. Um, <laughs> so... Uh, yeah, the story of Scratchman. Um, I highly recommend that that um, copy of DWM if you can find it online. It's got uh, like the that script outline. Kind of someone tried to hammer it into an actual story. So mm. You can read it, <laughs> check it out, make up your own mind. We we I mean you know me and me and Mike have slammed it. I mean probably rightly so, but um, you know check it out, make up your own mind. Maybe mm. you think it's a work of undiscovered genius. Mm. Well, I should say this, or actually as well, I did notice io9 had it on a list of the 10 biggest dodged bullets in Doctor Who history, so... Make of that what you will. Yeah. So, with that being said, um, do we want people to email in with their thoughts about this? Because I expect if we do get emails, well, first of all, we actually have to get emails. But if we did, it would be a lot yeah, of... Yeah, send us emails. Yeah, come on. you know, come on. Um, I would imagine a lot of it would be like, what the fuck is this shit? It would just be a, a, a series of emoticons and exclamation points. So, like you could hear brains melting. Mm. <laughs> so... Not just mine. It's just <laughs> <hot> ass room. <laughs> Damn it, you're eating an ice cream. I want one. Sorry. It's all right. Um, so... I'll put it down. <laughs> no, I'm going to get one. I'm going to get one when I'm finished. I don't give a fuck. Um, so, <laughs> if you want, you can email us at a greatest show at simplesyndicated.com. Um, we also do have a Facebook page, facebook.com slash greatest show in the galaxy podcast. Is that right, Emma? No, that's very long. Yep, that's the one. Yep. Uh, and to say, I also encourage people, if you've got, if you dig what you hear, please head over to iTunes and give us a review. Mm -hmm. It gets us out there. Hope more people will listen to us. Um, so, yeah, good reviews only. Otherwise, I'll come around your house. Yeah, we know where you live. <laughs> So and also whilst on your sim whilst you're on your simply syndicated whilst you're on your simply syndicated whilst you are on simply syndicated, oh Christ, I need a drink. Hang on. 
Oh, Jesus Christ. This this episode of The Great Show of the Galaxy is unofficially brought to you by Diet Coke. <laughs> I, I, <do laughs> the you know taste what? of a pissed off Doctor Who fan. Oh, fucking hell. I, do you know, I, I wish it had been regular Coke. At least it would have been just some sugar in it. Well, I thought it meant like cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> that might help too. It's much better now. <laughs> I get my credit card up. Um... <laughs> Oh, Christ. So, yeah, go to Simply CK to listen to all the other shows. We're going now, because this is turning into a complete mess. <laughs> Goodbye. Yeah, not just my ice cream. Bye. Bye. <laughs>